The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Connexus. Does money spark joy in your life or cause you stress? If you said stress, you're not alone. For 42% of Canadians, their biggest stressor comes from money. At Connexus, they care about your financial well-being. Money doesn't have to be stressful, and Connexus is here to help. The Connexus hashtag Money Talk blog provides expert advice, tips, and solutions for all life stages and events. Getting married, buying a house, budgeting, saving, they cover it all and more. And did I mention it's free? Check it out today at connexusmoneytalk.ca and start feeling confident and stress-free about your money. Welcome to the Talking 306 podcast, an original Saskatchewan podcast hosted by me, Dale Richardson. On this episode, the very first episode of the Talking 306 podcast, my guest is longtime radio host John Gormley. Now, I know that a lot of people in Saskatchewan have some mixed feelings about John Gormley. A lot of people really love him. They listen to him almost every day. They've listened to him maybe since when he first uh, started his radio show back in 1998. A lot of people love to listen to him. And then there are some people who live in Saskatchewan who who don't like John Gormley so much. Um, I know that. I know that there are a lot of people who, who disagree with a lot of the stuff that he says on the air. I thought John Gormley was... A great guest to have, and particularly as the first guest of the Talking 306 podcast, because I think that there's a lot of things that people don't know about John Gormley. He has a very interesting backstory. Where he was born, I think um, that that will surprise people quite a bit. Uh, growing up, his story is really interesting. His parents and where they're from is also very interesting. And just basically John's journey to um, to where he is at right now, uh, having done 20 years um, now on the John Gormley Live radio show. Of course, he has very strong views about things. There's no question about that. He can be very political. But what a lot of people, I think, don't realize is, is that when the microphone is off and he just goes to being John... Um, he, and he said this to me in this podcast, he really just plays a part on the radio. There's, there's a lot of performance to it. And when the radio was turned off, he's just John Gormley, who has four grandsons that he really wants to see more. They don't, they don't live in Saskatchewan. He wishes he could see them more. He, he is a family man. And I think that there's just a lot of things that people don't know about John Gormley. I had a great conversation with him. Uh, we sat down in Regina recently, had a great talk. And I want to say thank you to, to John Gormley for doing um, for doing this interview. I think it was really good. And I hope that everyone is able to, uh, I hope that everyone also enjoys it. Right before we get to, to the interview with John Gormley, I just want to say that the Talking 306 podcast is powered by 306 Media and communications 306 media does public relations social media advertising and uh, communications for local businesses if you want to find out more about what 306 media does you can visit the website at www.306media.ca that's www.306media.ca my name is dale richardson i'm the host of the talking 306 podcast and here is my interview with John Gormley. Why don't we start? Good. John Gormley, good to be with you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is interesting. Yeah, it's um, we are in the Regina offices of, of Rollco Radio. So, you're are you are you typically based out of Regina or in Saskatoon mostly? 
Well, I like people to keep guessing. So <laughs> I nominally pretend to be in Davidson, but I'm yeah, back and forth. Right in the, in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I, you're, I spend, not in, you're not in Yorkton or anything, obviously. No, no. no, I, no. I spend more time in Saskatoon, but I'm the, the show is simulcast on both stations. Yeah, so CKOM and CJME. Yeah. So you've, you, you talked to or have talked to hundreds of people, maybe probably thousands over the years, um, lots of different people around this province. I think a lot of people probably don't know uh, your story, though. You, For 20 years now, you've been probably the most famous guy on the radio in this province. Um, but you were not born in Saskatchewan. Um, can you just talk a little bit about where you were born and what, what your... But, uh, but I got here as soon as I could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, my, my parents were immigrants. My dad uh, was Irish. My mom is Australian. Right. And they were both in their... Uh, dad was in the British Army finishing his medical residency. Mom was an Australian Army nurse. Right. And there was a thing uh, for students of history called the Malayan Emergency. Yeah. Um, now, it followed Korea. It was for a brief number of years in the 1950s. And Canada uniquely was not a part, but it was a Commonwealth peacekeeping mission, very much like Korea had been a few years earlier. And essentially on the Malay Peninsula, Singapore is right down at the end, uh, the, the communist Chinese were trying to make an incursion down the peninsula. So the New Zealands, um, the Australians, and the British were mm-hmm. involved in this. So that brought both of my parents, who were kind of adventure seekers, um, to yeah. that area of the world. And yeah, that, that particular conflict, I didn't, I didn't know about it before I started researching for this. And it's, it's definitely, that particular conflict is definitely not as well known as, mm-hmm. like you said, the Korean War or, I mean, any of the other... Yeah. Uh, world wars is that like do you know much about that like was it just because there weren't like it, there wasn't that much worldwide involvement or Ma- mainly i think it was confined uh-huh. just to those um you know those states i think i think there were gurkhas who i'm not sure they were nominally part of the indian army maybe but but it was very it was a very small commonwealth group but um and i still don't know that much about it except the the neat part is I grew up in, in Battleford, and yes. my mom, yeah. who had, of course, to go back, my mom and dad married, they were uh, based in Singapore, then they were in Hong Kong for a time. I was born in Singapore, and yeah. my mom was a kid, you know, growing up, she said, oh, well, I was in the Australian Army, and I was a nurse. Well, later, and there's now been two books written on this, there were like eight nurses, uh, female Australian soldiers, um, brought into the middle of the jungle to work in... A, pretty harsh medical conditions sometimes. I mean, there, there was a field hospital where dad and mom worked together, but yeah. um, there's, they're, they're in, Aust- in Australian military history, they're quite a celebrated eight. And, yeah. um, and she was one of them. She was one of them. And, oh, wow. But of course, she doesn't talk about it much, but there was this book out a few years ago and an yeah. Australian journalist had phoned her and uh, mom's in her late 80s and thriving. And uh, Good. yeah, so that's my story. Great to hear. Oh, that, that's cool. So your... One thing I read was that your so your dad was a doctor, like you said, mm-hmm. and he saw some type of recruitment piece to about Saskatchewan that brought him to you know kind of kind of made your parents go oh, yeah maybe maybe you know the adventurers like you said maybe we should go and check out check this place out and yeah. so is that. That was that's, he, he that's was how in he came, the, yeah, he came to Saskatchewan. Yeah. yeah, he was finishing his residency. Uh, he was an anesthetist as well as a family doc, and uh, he was finishing his residency in London and saw this piece that a professor friend of his handed him and said, "You know, there's these two Irish doctors in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, Canada, looking for a junior associate partner." So, but but the neat part was, and it's still I've got it in a file at home somewhere is the letter these doctors write to my dad. And it's the carbon copy. You know, the yeah, old fact, yeah. you wouldn't know what carbon paper is, but it was a thing. That's how I've people, heard about it. You know, yeah. That's how people <laughs> copied letters. And yeah. it was just the sweetest letter. It talked about this um, this small farming community um, where there was so much to do. There was hunting in the fall and curling and everybody would go to the lake in the summer. Yeah. And this, this sort of almost Rockwellian description of this this terrific province and these farm-based communities. Um, so dad came out about six months before we did um, and then decided he wanted to stay. And to then, Battleford. To Battleford. And yeah. then along came mom and uh, my sister and I, and right. mom was actually expecting our, our youngest sister. So um, there we arrived. What are your siblings' names? 
Uh, my next youngest sister is Anne, yep. and then my youngest uh, sister is Siobhan. Okay, yeah. Oh, I can I can hear the Irish name in there. So, well, and yeah, the interesting the about, of course, growing up with a Siobhan, yes. um, who actually came back to Saskatchewan. She lives in uh, in the Battlefords now. Oh, great. Um, it's S-I-O-B-H-A-N, mm-hmm. yeah. named after Siobhan McKenna, the actress. But in those days, of course, you grow up in the 60s and 70s, and everybody was Siobhan. Uh-huh. Siobhan was a novelty name that some people would rip off by naming their kids S-H-E-V-A-N. Sure, and that kind of thing. sure. But Siobhan, the Gaelic thing, had a total renaissance. Now there are more women walking around uh, that Siobhan is a well-pronounced uh, Gaelic woman's yeah, name. Yeah, So, So did you like Battleford when you lived there? I mean, by the time, like, Singapore was... Obviously, I'm. I'm assuming you don't recall ever being None there. Of that, no. So Battleford was really where you, where you grew up. So, um, what was that like living living there? I mean, at that time, it was a fairly small community. It's not massive right now, but in that description that I always talk about, that letter to Dad, that Norman Rockwell feel, it was kind of like that growing up. Mm. It was the uh, uh, you, you get lucky in your life when you look back. I mean, all of us travel a journey based on, you know, who our family was, who our parents were, who our friends were. Um, boy, I had it great. It was, yeah. uh, we used to laugh about that. It was, uh, you know, the old saying, I remember Hillary Clinton popularized it in the 90s, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, of course. You know, I remember Mrs. Wheeler, you know, opening yeah. her window and yelling at me, you know, you're late. Who was that? Um, my buddy's uh, best friend's mom, oh, yeah. two, okay. two, two blocks down, yeah. you know, another woman, three blocks the other way, you know, you're, you're out prowling around and this was all bush and, and, and hills. It's all now houses, you know, and we'd be getting in trouble or a fist fight would break out and you'd hear somebody else's mom yell, smarten up you guys, yeah. you know? Yeah, so course. everybody's mom was able to kind of jump in and straighten you out. Um, you drank water from the hose, you, you played nonstop. Um, it was funny. There was a, a family just down the road from us. And it, the, the funny part was, at the time, and that they became lifelong friends, but they just looked a little tiny bit different. The right. skin was a little darker than ours. And they were an indigenous family, and they lived in town. Interesting. And they yeah. had a gang of kids, and we all went to school, and we all went to the same Catholic church. Yeah. But it was really funny growing up in an environment where you just didn't know stuff. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. In the best way. Good. Because you discovered, you learned, you grew. Um, couldn't beat it. Great Lake nearby, Table Mountain, uh, oh, yeah. the ski place uh, was actually... I, people I people in, in this province would say that that is the biggest mountain and it's so great. But then, of course, as you get to, to Alberta and BC, it is a hill, a very uh, tiny one. Yeah. yeah. See, I remember the original Table Mountain was 427 vertical feet. Oh. And I remember that from being 11 years old because we had a ski-a-thon mm-hmm. and we charged per vertical foot. So, you know, we were trying to tell people it was like 10 cents a foot. So, right, like it was a penny a foot. They'd pay you four bucks, right? Yeah. So, how about 10? So, we'd go on like this. And it's bigger than that now. In fact, there's a you know, couple of nice big chairs. But I, I, as a small kid, in fact, it was around that 11, 12 year old, was we were some of the first kids skiing there because that's when it was built. Yeah. So, so, growing up, like, what was your thing? Were you into sports or, I don't know, like, was there a drama program or, or, I know that you got a pretty early start in radio in in North Battleford, but um, any anything growing up that that you could you know point to? Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna either be a radio guy or I'm gonna be a politician. No, no? It, was, uh, it was funny. I yeah. I never did ask my mother, and I mean we still talk all the time, and I should really ask her if it was a philosophic choice or it was just the way it was. Uh, it's 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 an approach I adopted as a dad. Busy kids don't get into trouble. Mm. And that was my credo with my daughters. I mean, we just, you know, God, they just jammed them up. My girls. So you weren't in jail or anything? It wasn't in jail. Didn't do much time. As a 12 year old? I got parole. But but no, I, because, and my mom had this thing where, you know, okay, I was terrible at hockey. I I sucked so badly at hockey. um, I finally just gave it up and went skiing. And that was coincident with the Table Mountain. And I became a, a, you know, I taught skiing. I ski raced. I'm not a bad skier. But, other than hockey, which was the Saskatchewan rite of passage, I was just so bad at it. Mm-hmm. Everything else you could do, we did. Right. You know, there was Little League baseball, played football. Every sport you could do. Um, city band. There was a city kinsman yep. band. Of course. So I was in that. And I look back. We'll talk about your music career later. Oh, God, I don't know. But the, but the average weeknight in our household 
you know, you just went flat out doing stuff. And I don't know, again, if it was a choice my mom made or not, but busy kids tend to find a lot of other interests and busy kids. Right. So how did you get your start in radio then? You had a family friend or or someone you knew that that worked at at the radio station in in North Battleford? Yeah, the general manager, Harry Decker, okay. uh, who was a legend in, in radio many years ago, was a good friend of my dad's. Mm-hmm. And, and see, and it was one of those, I'd been in high school drama, so I'd been in a couple of plays, and I, I enjoyed which that. Ones, which, which ones were you in? Well, actually, the play, recall? I, I, okay, the only, um, God, I can't remember. The you're, the, you're the second guest that I've had now that, that was in some type of, of dramatic production. So, right. Yeah. Well, the one I do remember, um, oh my goodness, it was hilarious. It was a spoof one that I should never forget. Uh, the one That's I do okay. remember, though, was by George Riga. It was called Indian. Oh, yeah. And he had also done a famous play called The Ecstasy of Rita Joe. And in the modern cultural appropriation, the, the both the play and my acting in it would be now unspeakable. <laughs> but I won Best Actor in the City Drama Festival. Oh, wow. And it was a one-man play, northern Alberta, of an Indian man. Sure. Working on a building a fence, and then he reflects back on you know the the horrible abuse. The and I mean it was a very moving, very relevant play on the, the, the you know the the cascading of events that that caused such hardship for Indigenous people. But I'm a white guy, yeah. and I had an Indian, yeah. I had an accent. Uh, people people on Twitter would have gone nuts. If, they would have yeah, gone nuts, yeah. and I can still do the accent, but I'm not going to do it. Don't, for you don't now. do not do it right um, now. But no. you know, so I did this entire. It was almost a one man play. And um, wow. it was very moving. And I remember at the time thinking, boy, um, you could see the power that this play did. So I won Best Actor. That was 11th grade. But I was in other plays. But the radio thing, um, again, I was involved in school politics. I was the school president of the SRC Student Council. And I was going to the radio station to pay a bill. You know, we'd hired, we'd bought some radio advertising to hire a band to come in for a dance. And I still to this day don't know how it happened. Like I had no interest in radio. You know, mm. a lot of little kids would listen, as we all listened at night on the radio to faraway stations, but I didn't want to be those guys. So I'm in the radio station, and I said to Mr. Decker, um, do you ever hire kids to work part-time? And he said, well, we could. What do you yeah. want to do? Yeah. And I said, well, whatever you can, you know, can I talk on the radio? Pointed to the mic, and you got behind it. Bingo. And it yeah. was almost, you know, so I used to read the news. This was in 12th grade. Then I would do a Sunday night show for a while. So I did what that was the, in high school. What was the topic of that show? It was a music show. It was, oh, yeah. yeah it was okay. just, you know, it, and in fact, in those days, they had what was called a mixed format. So it being one small station in one small town, they would, there'd be a rock show at night. The rest of the day, it was country uh-huh. or kind of easy listening, but you'd have slotted shows, like a country show for two or three hours or yeah. a pop show or a rock show. And right. of course, being 17, you know, you always wanted to try and do the rock show. So then you went, so you did that for a bit, and then you went, you moved to Saskatoon and you... We're on CKOM there for yeah, a universe, bit. Yeah, I went, yeah. I, I went ostensibly to go to university. And, right. and what had happened... Um, and Studied we, English? Is, English is and right? yeah. political science. Oh, yeah, and, right. but, but we always laugh because there is a radio thing. That when it gets in your blood, you're done. I right. mean, it's it travels with you forever. So I went to be a student at the university. Within three months, I'd found my way to CKOM and again was doing... By this time, I was a news reader, so I would read the news, and I was very involved in the, the journalism. And then what was full-time university and a little radio, if you think of it like scales, over yeah. the period of about six months, yeah. became a lot of radio and very little school. So right. there I was in radio. Hmm. So did you did you finish your degree uh, doing doing that, or did you get full, full-time into into radio? I, I eventually full-time radio. I took enough night classes. I never finished my degree, but I did yeah. about two, I think two and a half years of, of an arts degree. Okay. So then, uh, so then 1984 rolls around and you decided, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should run in the, in the election in 1984 for the, for the PCs or. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird. It's, it's only the confidence, the courage and the complete blindness that young males in their twenties can have because uh-huh. you're the smartest guy. I am now 30. So I, I know nothing about okay. that anymore. Because when you're in your twenties as a male, you are the smartest guy in the room mm. and you are fearless and you're generally weighing in heavy at 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Right. Um, you know, and, and I say that jokingly, but it's kind of true. I mean, I'd worked in the news business. I'd actually by that, by 84 had moved into a talk show. So I was actually doing a radio talk show, much like I do today. Oh, really? Okay. Although it was the Rex Murphy-ish. Sure. It was completely even-handed. 
I would deliberately argue one side, other side. Nobody ever knew how I voted. They didn't know my position on things. Interesting. So it was a complete moderated talk show as opposed to an opinion show I do now. So long story short is I'd been doing the show, and again, with only the uh, incredible self-confidence of a 20-something, I'd have federal cabinet ministers come in, and this was the Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau's government. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you guys aren't that bright. You guys aren't, you know, somebody should do something. So I stepped up and by 84, convinced myself I should be in federal politics and won a hotly contested nomination. And then later that year, that fall, became a member of parliament at age 27. Right. John, I don't want to lose that that thread of your story, but but you just said something that I'm interested in these days. So you you ran as a, as a really young person. Mm-hmm. Um do you, do you worry right now with all of the social media channels and a, and a lot of the criticism that people can, can I guess, throw at politicians these days on Facebook, Twitter, even Instagram, which is a fairly positive thing? Do, do you worry that younger, very competent people on both sides um, of the political uh, spectrum, do, do you worry that they won't run because it's simply not worth it for them? I worry a great deal, and I think um, it's part of that. Part of it is just our expectations. I mean, we we have a sense that the people we ask to govern us um, you know, are never right. They're never going to rise to what, however it is we've conjured them up. Yeah, I, it's a valid fear, and I talk to young people, and every so often uh, they'll ask me, you know, they kind of come to me, and ah, I'm thinking of running. Every one of them is usually looking for a reason not to, Right, and, uh, right. and that concerns me. Do, do you worry that it's that it's more um, one side, like more people on the maybe on the conservative side that for that for sure have no reason to? Because it it seems like more of like the younger um, left wing activist side is is more motivated to do that just because that's just their nature. Whereas um, and I and I do, I mean I have friends who are who are on that side, um, but then I have some other friends. More on the conservative, more on the conservative side of, of things. Who would, I just I don't see the benefit to them because they have good paying jobs, you know, in the private sector. But it, it just because of you know the hassle, it, it's just not worth it for them to get into it. I agree with you. In fact, if you know, if if I want to be facile and glib, uh, you know, a young, a young social activist is often doing this uh, for passion and uh, the rage. You know, some of it manufactured, some of it legitimate, yeah. that courses through their veins. Becoming an elected official is the highest paid gig they'll ever get. In fact, someone's paying them to be an activist. Uh, on the political right, uh, often being an elected person is not going to be the best living they'll ever make. They can make a much better probably, living elsewhere. Probably one of the lower paying lower ones. Paid, yeah. 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 Um, getting getting back to your story, thanks for your, uh, for the comment on that. So you, you won in 1984, and you moved your family out to Ottawa. Um, Talk about that experience. I, I, I know that, that you've said elsewhere that that, was, that particular period was, was a hard time for your family. You kind of thought maybe it wasn't, because you had young kids at that time, mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't a great, you know, in hindsight, wasn't a great thing to do. But um, what, was, what was living in Ottawa during, during those four years like for well, you? Well, and well actually, you know, because it, it you know, our lives are, regret is a totally useless um, emotion or sentiment to hang on too long. I mean, you learn from mistakes and then you move on. Um, to the extent I had regrets, I mean, the political experience was an amazing experience for four years, but the regret was what the, the toll it takes on families. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, I didn't move my family to Ottawa because I didn't, then I did, and then I didn't. And, and I, I went through this thing that young MPs do where you, you say, okay, I'll commute home every weekend, but you're only home two to three days a week, if that, and you're working in your writing office or yeah. going out with constituents. And then you have to go back. You have to go back. Then yeah. you say, well, let's move to Ottawa. Then every weekend you're back in the riding, and every night you're in committee meetings till 1030. And, you know, so long story short, it's it was it's really tough on families. Part of it is that, again, being a young guy in my 20s, was this imposed expectation. I mean, I worked nonstop. Mm-hmm. If it were today, and that's the balance argument I give young people, if you were elected today, move your family to Ottawa, tell your constituents I'll be home two or three days a month, and that's my gig. Right. That's easy now, but of course, if you don't win the election, as I didn't, 
you yeah. say, well, gosh, maybe I should have been out knocking more doors in my in my district. So it's it's a tricky balance was on that, the personal side. So was that part of of what happened in uh, in 1988 when you when you didn't win, or like was it because because the Mulroney government they they were elected again that year? So what what happened in your riding that? Well, I, I've got two answers. I, yeah. I always laugh. In fact, it was just the 30th anniversary of the free trade agreement. And I was on the, the parliamentary committee that did the clause-by-clause clause review and approved the treaty. Really? So okay. again, huge kudos for a young MP. I think back, that was all summer of 88. Mm. Well, we knew the election was coming that fall. Wouldn't a smart politician have spent the entire summer knocking on thousands of doors? Um, Maybe. So, so there's that part of it. You know, what was yeah. I doing? But the other part was, um, you know, Ray Natitian, who was the Minister of Justice, was defeated in that election. Um, five of us lost our seats. It was the referendum on free trade. And the, Why did that resonate so much in this province? It was bizarre, Dale. Saskatchewan, which is the most trade-dependent province, was the province most opposed to the Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. And I remember campaigning, and, and I always laugh. In fact, uh, Graham uh, Fraser's book, he actually quotes me in the book. And it was mm. cute. He interviewed me years later. And I talk about the turning point, which was uh, the uh, John Turner, Brian Mulroney debate, where yes. the first night is in French. The election's actually underway, one, two weeks of the campaign. Everything's going well. Turner attacks Prime Minister Mulroney on trade, and he says, you know, I want to draw a line between Canada and the U.S., you're not doing it, something to that effect. The next morning, we get out door knocking, and all of a sudden, people are looking in the eye and saying, you're selling off my country. Mm. And you think, well, first of all, I'm, I'm not. But I remember doing town hall meetings that would just, it was... I laugh. It's hilarious in retrospect. At the time, it was terrifying. Yeah. You know, you'd call yeah. some people together. You'd be in a small town. All of a sudden, people are waving these pieces of paper. This is a copy of what you're selling out in the free trade agreement. And the unions were well organized. The left owned the issue. Of course, the Can Canadian Wheat Board was going to go. It did anyway. Nobody yep. misses it. But nursing homes are going to be closed because American multinationals would not allow nursing homes in Canada. You had to go to American-owned hospitals. Oh, my. Um, you name it. And it worked. Yeah. And at the doors, people would say to me, you know, you. I remember one encounter up in an apartment building in North Battleford. Young guy who had gone to school with said, "I I like you. You've been a good MP, but I was at a union meeting, and if I vote for Mulroney, the the country ends." And I said to him, "Is there any way I can convince you?" And he said, "Don't take it personally. Um, you guys have sold us out." So that was the spirit in Saskatchewan. So it's long hard. Story, to long story short, I lost. We all lost. Right. Uh, Based on what's going on right now with the with the current NAFTA trade stuff with the U.S., it's very hard to believe that particular issue. Um, I mean, really, I mean, based on you know all the trade stuff with Trump, it's it's mm -hmm. very hard to believe that that something like that could ever be such an issue. I mean, it it seems that regardless of what side of of the political aisle you're on, people. Pretty much across Canada, seem at least generally to be somewhat behind our federal government. Oh, absolutely, I mean the benefit of a trade where you have a set of rules, uh, even on the left, um, yeah. you can find the most staunch trade union person on the left. They're not going to fight you on that. Whereas they in '88 they did, and '88 was the last great fist fight that an election was a referendum. Yeah. Some are expecting, let me get political for a minute, mm -hmm. if Andrew Scheer runs the carbon tax issue, the election in 2015 could be, for the first time since 88, that kind of election. Right. You vote for the carbon tax or you Tw vote against 2019, it. 2019, yeah. Oh, sorry, 2019, yeah. yeah. So 1988 happens and then you come back to Saskatoon. You went to law school. Mm -hmm. You did that. Um I read that you qualified as a as a mature student. I did. I was <laughs> thirty one. I was very mature. <laughs> so did you? Um, while you were at law school, did you did you work at the radio station as well? When you no, or just full time law? No, full time law. In fact, I had left the media quite effectively behind. I think I did a little bit of political commentary, the occasional election. You know, they would bring me in, but. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was it was interesting. I went through what uh, politicians in recovery do, though, because just the timing. I thought, gosh, you know, I would be just finishing articling the next election. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because when you leave politics, it's all consuming. 
every single year of law school, my interest in politics, or at least returning to it, diminished. Then, of course, when I got into the practice of law, I thought, you know, this four-year political career, short as it was, was wonderful and intriguing, but that's in the past. So right. I'd left it behind. So then did you go and practice somewhere, or did you did you go to Alberta and, and, yep. and practice? Yeah, okay. Articled and practiced there. And one of the reasons I went is my wife wanted to, to get her PhD done. She was a, yes. a finance major. So at U of A made sense. But... In a weird way, personally, I wanted to become a lawyer on the merits of what kind of law student and lawyer I could be, because I knew enough people in Saskatchewan. You know, they said, "Well, let's just stay here an article and be mm-hmm. here," which was, you know, much appreciated. But I didn't want to be that you know, that former MP guy who then becomes a lawyer. You just got the job because you knew the yeah. people. So I'm yeah. in this law firm in in Edmonton, and I had one guy I knew in the whole firm, and he I'd grown up with him as a kid, um, and he'd sort of given me the name of the firm. But I got through the you know the articling interviews. I you know I I did my articles there, practiced there, and it was one of the best experiences of my life because it was right. I was sort of relearning a whole bunch of stuff in my early 30s, in the in the discipline of law. Uh, totally being held on my own, you know, whether I did it or not. So what? So what pulled you back from Edmonton uh, to to Saskatchewan? Was it was it the offer to to take over the the morning show? Well, I mentioned earlier about how radio gets in your blood. Yeah, um, it can even sort of lay in there like a you know like a little bacteria mm-hmm. that then grows later. I thought I was out of radio, and um, like you uh, weren't thinking about it at all. Never. It, no? it, Never was it's one of those things that was always a fond memory and occasionally in Edmonton. I remember I had a client one day. Mm. We were in the middle of a client conference and he goes, You're the same guy I used to listen to on CFQC that did a talk show back in really? you know in eighty two. Yeah. I said, Yeah, oh I was a listener. And we would laugh and you'd move on. Um, Gordon Rawlinson, who owns the Ralco company and is a friend, yeah. uh, approached me and said that they you know, he wanted to convert CJME and CKOM, which were big AM stations, but music has moved mainly to the FM band. And these two stations were playing oldies hits and they had a big heritage, but it was time to move them to News Talk. And I said, that's really nice. And he said, I'd like you to come and do the show. And I said, no, that's really nice. So this went back and forth for a number of months. And then finally, and Gordon is persuasive, um, finally, and I was missing, my my parents were still back here. Mm -hmm. And my kids were getting to an age where I thought, well, let's try it. And that was 20 years ago. I, right. I tried it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, why don't we talk about your show for a bit? Sure. Um, what's the, so I said at the start that you've, you've talked to likely thousands of different people over, over 20 years. What's the biggest, um, thing that surprises you about talking talking to people in Saskatchewan every day like do you do you ever take a phone call and do you like do you come into work and you think well I think I've heard everything that that there is to hear and then someone calls you and and you uh and your mind has changed a little bit um I would I've learned that if I ever thought that um that would be a little bit too much hubris and presumptuousness (laughs) because you never hear it all uh, right. The most uh, the most intriguing thing, though, and I've often thought of this, is when you do a show, and my show is in large part conflict based. And I mean, it's not conflict like take clubs out and beat one another, but yeah. but it's it's an opinion. It's my opinion, my perspective. I'm leaning on my because it's it's me. Yeah. And the idea is to then animate listeners. Do you agree? Do you disagree? What do you think? Oftentimes, when you do a show that's predicated on conflict, you do tend to cleave yes, no, black, white. We all know there's gray. But you'll sometimes be into an issue where you're getting lots of yeses, lots of noes, and then some listener will phone or text something that traverses right down the middle, right. jogs over to the yes, veers back to the no, and you think it's inescapable that this person just nailed both sides, either nailed them down and dismissed them or endorsed them both. And it comes from the funniest of places because you can be talking to some pretty savvy people and you think, okay, pretty well we're hearing it all yeah somebody yeah. thinks of one thing nobody else did uh one of the things you've well and you wrote a book about this um and one of the things that that keeps seem to um that keeps coming up quite a bit is your time in alberta and i'm, I'm assuming when you lived in alberta it kind of kind of formed this opinion but um 
the 1990s with the with the previous NDP government and this and this belief that that uh, Saskatchewan just wasn't as great as it could have been, mm-hmm. very mediocre. Um, that seemed to piss you off a lot, and it maybe maybe still does that that there was this belief that eh, if, you know we're we're okay, but you know we're a flyover province. Yeah. Um, is that still a thing, John? Like, do you? It, it still pisses it, me off. Uh, does it? Yeah. Sort of interrupt, but does it? Does it feel like we are a couple steps away from from getting back to that at any you know particular moment, or 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 do you think that people in this province have uh, changed their mind you know permanently to to where yes we are we're a damn great province and and we're not going to shut up about it. It's a great question. Okay, uh, sorry, I did I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, it pisses me off still, but. I like to think, combination of immigrants and millennials, that we've broken the back of the yeah. idea that you know it's just okay to settle to be from Saskatchewan because nothing worthwhile ever happens here, which was sort of a mantra for 50 years in this province. Um, I, I, on one hand, I think, okay, we've broken the back. But we all know from every human endeavor, from losing weight to being a nicer person, um, you've got to stick on your message and your mantra mm-hmm. and you've got to revisit it because right. it's easy to say, hey, I've lost all this weight. Great. Well, unless you stay on it, you're going to put it back on. Yeah. Um, if, you know, Whatever it is you're doing, you've got to continue to, to affirm and then reset the good. So um, I get pissed off when I start to see a bit of a slide and even in my own mind, mm-hmm. I think, oh, you think, like what? Um, you know, you're going to want to grumble and say, well, you know, somebody comes up with an idea. Or, you know, you're arguing with somebody over a business thing. And, well, you know, I don't know, can we really do that here? And then you think, just wait a minute. You know, you're defaulting to the thought that, you know, the default position is likely not. Um, who says? Yeah. It, you know, it can be and it should be. So, yeah, and I always tell a story. And it, the joke was, we were out walking the dog. And the funny part was, this you wouldn't know about this. There was a thing called the Briex scandal, where a guy faked a gold find. No. But it made a lot of people in Alberta an awful lot of money for a little time. People also lost everything they had in this. My neighbor was a truck driver. Mm. And he'd bought Briac shares and he got out as they were just going crazy. And he had enough money that he bought a fully loaded SUV. Oh, yeah. It was the first Eddie Bauer back in the 90s. Sure. Know. And we're looking at this. We're out walking the dog and we're all literally kicking the tires. And all the neighbors, it's a beautiful night. And I said, just what a great truck. And everybody's going, what a great truck. We're walking back. And my wife says, isn't it funny? If we were back home, we'd be griping that he's got a nicer truck than we do. Yeah. And it clicked. And we'd already been in Alberta a few years. And I looked at my wife and I said. Oh, that was in Alberta? That was in Alberta. And I said, you know, you're right. Totally. Because I had spent my whole life in a Saskatchewan Mm -hmm. where if somebody had something nicer than you, you know, you envied them yeah. um, or they, they, maybe they, you know, how did they get it? You know, yeah. what did they do to get it? Um, and then of course it became a bit of a, a show point on my talk show. And then I would go to my way to look for stuff. You know, the language of defeat, you've got something nicer than me must be nice. Yeah. Must be nice. Must yeah. be nice. Yeah. Which means, you know, I yeah. stand on the sidelines. Yeah. Guy tells me the story, very rich, successful Saskatchewan guy in farming. Every other place he goes to in the world, from Europe to Vegas to South America, they say to him, good for you. Mm-hmm. But in Saskatchewan, we didn't used to say that. So, yeah. so, I, I, so I would go on the hunt for these examples of what I believed then and still believe was a little bit encoded almost in the DNA of people. You know, it was if somebody had something nice, I uh, know. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of that's changed between millennials and immigrants and this rapid growth. Gosh, you know, look at luxury cars. Yeah. I mean, people in this town will yeah. drive an Audi. Yeah, they're buying them. Or a Mercedes yeah. or a yeah. Beamer. Whereas for years, there were people who could afford beautiful cars that deliberately bought a three-year-old kind of old car mm-hmm. because they didn't want the neighbors to think less of them. Yeah. I, I see that's kind of gone away, and, yeah. and thank goodness. Yeah. You know, as someone who who grew up in the in the 90s and early 2000s, um, and then I graduated high school in 2006, okay. I was kind of right in that time when... Um, like my sister graduated high school in 2003. She moved to British Columbia. Mm. She didn't come back back to Saskatchewan for 10 years, but she did. And I I think just by by happenstance in my life, really, I just graduated high school and went to school and, you know, 
started to work at a time when people just didn't move to Alberta anymore. And and I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think that there that kind of attitude of, you know, the must be nice attitude, I, I, I think it for the most part is gone. And I think I hope it never comes back because thank you. And yeah. long may it be gone. But see, it's, but yeah. it's people of your uh, your generation who are going to keep it away. And yeah. again, when I bump into people like you of your age, uh, I mean, the old uh, I do a lot of convention speaking. And when there's a bunch of young people in the room, I always do the only people who can answer this question have to be under 35. Yeah. And there's an easy, I said, no, I said, just work with me here. You're not allowed to say the answer if you're over 35. Number one graduation gift in Saskatchewan when you graduated from grade 12. Suitcases. Bingo. Yeah. And there's actually some young people go, what they do a guy in the crowd, uh, TV. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everybody's laughing. And then in, yeah. in unison, I said, what was it that in unison, everybody goes luggage. Um, you know, and, and again, that was just one of those unique Saskatchewan things. Right. Not that way anymore. Well, hopefully it's, it's gone. Yeah. Um, would you say that you are playing when you're doing your show for the, for the four hours or, or so every day, are you playing a character? Like, is there, is there a performance aspect of, well, of your a, job when you're huge, on the air? There's a huge performance aspect, but I, I, I characterize it this way. And it was described to me because when I, con- when I came back to do the show and the general agreement was it would be an opinion based show and sometimes a strongly opinion based show. I mean, I was a button down lawyer, you know, labor and employment lawyer who could dial it up if I had to, but generally in the practice of law, uh, you want to dial things down, not up. Yeah. And a guy explained to me that Mick Jagger, when he walks down a catwalk with a pink boa and a crop top, is Mick Jagger. He's the same guy who's the CEO of Stones, Inc., Mm. who sits in his house in Kensington or one of his country houses uh, overseeing a billion-dollar empire. Um, Same Mick Jagger. Yeah. So there's Mick Jagger performance. There's Mick Jagger real. That's what I am. Um, I never fake an opinion. Um, I never make stuff up because that way it becomes the credo of the liar. You got to have a really good memory because if you make stuff up, you got to remember what it was you said. If you are honest and authentic, mm-hmm. you know, you can ask me what my opinion is on this and I'll tell you. But on the radio show, it tends to be a bigger opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, if you and I were at a dinner party, we might have the same discussion and you'd say, geez, you know, your opinion wasn't as pointy as it was on the radio, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Why do people seem to not be able to, I guess, see that? see that particular aspect that, that when you're on the air and as, and as you said, talking about or having serious opinions about things and, and very strong opinions. Um, why do some people seem to miss that? It is, it is a, you know, it's it's entertainment is what it is. But why do like the one particular thing that I'm thinking of is, um, the leader post had that article last year talking, talking to you about racism and and you said that you've been called a racist uh, hundreds of times when if if you were to actually listen to anything you've said on the air you have never made a racist comment ever in your life never so why do so why do people have a have a hard time um i guess disconnecting the fact that you're you are playing a particular role on the air with the man john gormley it's their choice and it's not mine. I mean, we yeah, live in a yeah. culture, we live in a, in a systemic culture of name calling and grievance. So yeah, yeah. Um, I say to somebody in a discussion that's respectful, maybe it gets a little pushy, you know, I suggest to somebody, is it necessarily best in this situation that, you know, I'm debating glad you, for example. Sure. I, mean, I believe that, you know, that there should be broad latitude given to the circumstances of every offender. Indigenous offenders often, 80% of people in prison are indigenous, 17% of the population. So there's something there. There's huge family of of origin issues that we ought to be sensitive and we ought to work on. But when you say, do you want in the criminal code to name indigenous people um, least restrictive alternative, not send to jail? I mean, is that the right place you want to be? That's a good debate, I think. Now, it's not done out of a spirit of, of... you know, of any animosity toward indigenous people, it's not racist, but someone disagreed with me and I hurt their feelings Mm -hmm. because of course we are unable as a culture now to distinguish losing an argument or even hearing a different point of view 
that doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. I mean, good Lord. If, I, if my feelings got hurt every time I lost an argument, if my feelings got hurt every time I heard something I disagreed with, you know, I'd be a mess. Every time uh, 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 Conspiracy Kevin called in to talk to you, you'd be crying. I'd you'd, be a wreck. You'd, 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 have, you'd have quit the show years ago. He takes me to town all the time. He takes <laughs> me all the time. But, but see, but that's, you know, the weird part is, because we've had issues, um, and, and I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the indigenous issue. You could listen, <laughs> if any human wanted to listen to 20 years, you have never ever heard me say anything that by a fair-minded person would be racist toward indigenous people Mm -hmm. um that one i can wake you up in the middle of the night and challenge you to you know to to find one but boy in the spirit of activism um if you question certain um, governance issues are a good one i mean you've got organizations that brought lawsuits to compel certain band councils to make available an audited statement so yeah. you get that person on the air, an indigenous person, Charmaine Stick, right. Harrison Thunderchild, yep. and you say, hey, what can we do to help you? They're troublemakers, and I'm a racist. Well, how about we hold the mirror back on the person saying this and say, you're the person who's defrauding your community and not sharing with your community um, your financial records. So, you know, that's that's the way the way it is. Yeah. Um, when when Brad Wald announced last summer that he was going to retire, did you ever think maybe I want that job? Did you ever think about getting getting back into that type of thing? I guess because you there were a couple of rumblings that oh maybe maybe Gormley would be interested in this. I was gonna play it longer than I did because I was gonna have a little fun with it. I, short answer is no. I have no I had no yeah. intention then yeah. nor any other time. But I was gonna milk it and be cute and coy for a while. But uh, my friend Charles Adler had yeah. me on his show out of the West Coast, and we were taught. This was the day of Brad's uh, retirement, and Chuck put it to me in the question. I thought, oh, jeez. So I I fooled around with it. I said, well, Charles, that's a question that I'd have to think about. And I did this and I said, no, absolutely no, not. So yeah. it was done. But um, no, I I mean, politics is, is a wonderful pursuit for, for, for young women and men uh, and older people who've got a real care for their community. But I'd done my, you know, I had my opportunity, I've done it. So it's yeah, not there. Yeah. Uh, last question, John. Um, thinking back to to the recruitment materials that your dad got um, that, that brought him over here. If, if you were in charge of putting together the recruitment package for, for him now um, to, to describe um, uh, Saskatchewan, what would it look like? What would it say? What would, what would you put in, put in those materials to, to get him here right now? It would be surprisingly close to the letter he got but I think it would talk even more about opportunity. I mean, this yeah. is a province that has always had remarkable opportunity. In fact, I mean, this, this place describes opportunity. Part of the historic or the systemic attitude was that was the last thing we wanted to talk about. We just wanted to talk about getting by. So the, the, the material I'd write for that young um, Irishman today would talk about what you can do here and what your kids can do here. And as an example, I've been blessed with probably some of the best life experiences imaginable because it was here. And if you work hard and you keep your eye on what it is you want to try to get done, you're going to get incredible mentors, incredible support. Uh, This province uh, is just, and it gets better every year. I mean, we, again, on the indigenous piece, you know, there's a lot of grumbling and complaining in some quarters. Well, school completion rates business rate, startup rates, never been higher. So you've got the indigenous community ready to launch if some people will let it launch. Uh, You've got an immigrant community that's bigger than the community my dad came into. So those are two areas that have grown. You've still got a province here that that has got nothing but its eye on the prize. So come here, do well, make it better. That's a great... Great marketing package. Uh, you've done this 20 years now. Any sign of, of the finish line? Or are you going to be like Johnny Carson and <laughs> go on as long as you can? And well, then and then totally disappear. I, I love this show. And the, the test when people ask me, am I ready to hang it up? Is I'm one of those 
sick people who Monday mornings feel as good as Fridays. My two favorite days of the week are Friday and Monday. Friday, yeah. it's all done. Monday, I you, get to do it again. You get to do it again. So yeah. I'm lucky. But like anything, um, it's going to have a natural evolution. And uh, I want to be able, um, while I'm still active, while I've still got a ton of other ideas, uh, and that the only challenge with radio is as much as I love it, you've got to be doing it 40 some weeks a year. Yeah. So the frequency and the consistency is there. And that kind of limits getting out and seeing the world and doing things. Seeing so, the grandkids. Yeah, and exactly. And I've got uh, four grandsons, um, all of whom I wish I had a Great. little more time with. So yeah. there'll be a time, but uh, no, nothing nothing yeah. soon. Well, John Gormley, thanks. Uh, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, thank you for the for the work that you do for the people in this province uh, yeah great great talking with you today well, dale it's been an honor thank you so much great that's it for this episode of the talking 306 podcast thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't already done so please subscribe to the talking 306 podcast on apple podcasts on your iphone google podcasts spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Give us a follow on social media as well. Talking 306 is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Theme music for the Talking 306 podcast is by Saskatoon artist Maybe Smith with a song that I think is very fitting for Saskatchewan called You Would Never Survive the Winters in This Province. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time. The Saskatchewan Podcast Network is supported by Conexus. Next time you're stuck in traffic for a while, here's some things to think about instead of why the car in front of you is going so slow or if the car behind you is trying to hitch a ride on your bumper. What if your bank was committed to working with you to achieve your goals? What if they cared enough to get to know you? What if they weren't successful unless you were? What if your financial well-being drove everything they did? Come see why things are different at Conexus. Stop by any branch to learn more about how Conexus cares.